Uh, so we're going to be in uh, we're going to be in John 15. But let me just tell you a little story. Uh, when I was a kid, I had a best buddy named Jason. Right off the bat, right? Never trust a guy named Jason. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know if anybody here named Jason, but um, uh, we were best friends, and our parents were close friends as well, very close friends. And so we just spent a lot of time together. Did you have a best friend when you were a kid that? Uh, you were such good friends that you always wanted to be together, even though you knew that at some point in the day you were going to end up fighting with each other. Uh, you still wanted to be together because you were just that tight. And the thing about my friend Jason is that he was a pig. Uh, his, his critical flaw with your best friends, like, it's not that you don't notice their flaws. You definitely do, but you love them anyway. Uh, here's the thing about Jason. He didn't understand pizza math. Hey, you know pizza math. If we go out to eat pizza, four of us at the table, eight slices... You know pizza math, right? You know what to do. At our house, it gets a little more complicated because there's five of us. Uh, you know, there's an odd number, uh, but you got to factor in some of the variables, right? Like mom probably isn't going to eat as much as older brother, uh, you know, but then what do you do when there's like an odd number of slices left? And the rule of thumb, I think we can all agree, is that dad gets that. That belongs to dad. The really tricky part is when you get down to like two pieces and two people and there's like one big giant slice and one skinny little, you know, it's sort of a slice. Uh, which one do you take? You know, well, the big one, of course. Jason had no concept of pizza math. All he knew was, as long as there was pizza around, he was going to ram it in his face as fast as possible until it didn't exist anymore. Didn't matter who else was around. And so, as you can imagine, this was frustrating for me. And one day, I spent the night at his house, and his mom got us a pizza, which was awesome. Super nice of her. Him and I are hanging out. We're watching a movie. We're downstairs eating our pizza. And I had a slice of pizza on my plate, but I got up to leave the room. I don't remember if I went to get something to drink or use the restroom, whatever. Uh, but when I came back, it was gone. That much I know for sure. And so I said to Jason, I said, you ate my pizza. And he said the magic words, the surefire escape. Prove it. <laughs> Prove it. Uh, and so I said, okay, well, when I left the room, there was a slice of pizza. When I came back, there wasn't. And you're the only one here. That doesn't prove that I ate it. And theoretically, he's right. I mean, I still don't have, like, definitive proof, but theoretically, can you actually prove anything, right? Can you actually prove that I'm standing here? Uh, so, anyway, no matter what I said, his response was always, prove it. That doesn't prove I ate it. Prove it. I don't know what happened to your slice of pizza. Prove it. He just kept saying, prove it. And here's the deal. The reason, it turned out, the reason that I knew he ate it wasn't because I could actually literally prove it with physical empirical evidence. The reason I knew he ate it because, is because I knew who he was. I knew that he didn't understand pizza math. I knew that he had a history of doing such things. And I knew that given the opportunity, he would definitely eat any piece of food that I left laying around. I knew who he was. And the truth is, for me in that moment, who he was mattered more than what he did. Because really, isn't everything you do born out of who you are? Isn't that where your actions always come from? So it's so important when we come to our relationship with God, when we come to uh, understanding how, who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives, it's so important we understand who he is in order to understand what he's done. Because what you do always is born out of who you are. So in John 15, we come to this, uh, this last of seven disclosures Jesus makes about himself. We refer to them as the seven I am statements of Christ. I am the blank. This is the last one. Uh, the last personal self-disclosure, and it's one of the most essential passages to experiencing life in Christ, to understanding God's plan A for us. And so this is what it says, John chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, I am the true vine, 
and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Okay, so his father, God, creator of all, sovereign God over everything, is the gardener. And then there's two other people, the vine, that's Jesus. We know that because he said, I am the true vine. Uh, and we are the branches. Now, there's two kinds of branches we'll read later on, the ones that, uh, the ones that don't bear fruit and the ones that do. Uh, there's two kinds of branches, but let's just tackle the vine, figuratively, uh, of course. Uh, to understand the vine, you really have to understand the Old Testament references to the vine. In the Old Testament, God would repeatedly use the, uh, the vine or the grapevine, depending on your translation, as uh, sort of a word picture or an analogy for his people, the nation of Israel, his followers. Uh, there are many places. I'm just going to read one of them to you so you'll get a snapshot of what the, uh, what the symbolism looks like. Isaiah 7 records what's known as the Song of the Vineyard. And this is what it says. It says, I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard, God's vineyard. My loved one, God, had a vineyard on a hill, fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. Okay? So God cleared out this land, this, made, it, made it fertile, made it prosperous, and then he planted the vine there. It's symbolism for the promised land. He planted his people there in this land that he promised to give them. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. He gave them everything they would need to thrive. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Wah, wah. <laughs> the reference is to God giving them everything he promised, giving them all the provision and protection they would need. And then what did they do with it? Well, they ignored it. They took it for granted. They did what, uh, what uh, the New Testament refers to is as Prefer, preferring created things over the creator. Don't we have a tendency to do that? Take God off the throne of our hearts and put something else or someone else up there? Now, that's exactly what they did. And it goes on to say, Now, you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? So you get the picture. Anytime that the, God uses this symbolism uh, of the, the vine or the grapevine to represent the people of Israel, it's always a fail on their part. It never ends with them being like glorious and prosperous and serving God and living indefinitely under his blessing. Uh, it always ends poorly. They're never a good and fruitful vine. So ultimately, uh, they end up just being fruitless and withered. They're a really lame vine, it turns out that way. So if I could just bottom line it for you. What we learn from the analogy that's used over and over in the Old Testament is that we're just really bad at being our own God. We're really bad at following the one true God. Uh, we tend to look to other things for our own meaning, um, our own uh, source of life. So that's, that's pretty normal. I think we've probably all seen that. And then Jesus comes along and he says, I am the true vine. And it means something more than just the word picture of stay connected to me and everything will be good especially to the original audience, because they know this analogy from the Old Testament. Jesus comes along and he says, you know what? You can't handle the weight of dealing with your own brokenness, your own sin. You can't handle the weight of being your own source of life and fulfillment. You can't handle the weight of your temporary and fragile life, but I can. I am the source of life and meaning that you're looking for, Jesus says. And even though, get this now, even though you can't be good enough to please God, I've got you covered. 
stay attached to me. I'm the true vine. That's really good, good news. So it turns out it's a really good thing you're not the vine. Uh, it's a really good thing that he is. He is our source of meaning and salvation because we're just not good at it. So instead, Jesus says, you're the branches. Verse 3, it says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. It's exactly what Pastor Rick just shared with us a few minutes ago. You're already saved, already redeemed, already reconciled to God and blessed because of what Jesus has done, not because of what you can do. Therefore, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain connected to the vine. Neither can you bear fruit, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain connected to me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So there's two kinds of branches, ones that don't bear fruit and ones that do. I have known, as probably have you, many people who consider themselves a good person. Uh, it's kind of a relativistic uh, thing. Depends on your baseline, right? I'm, for most people, it's like Hitler. Everybody starts at Hitler. I, I don't know why. Like, that's a low bar, okay? Compared to Hitler, you're all good people. I think we can just agree on that. That's a low bar. We got to bump that up. A lot of people consider themselves a good person. Therefore, me and God are good. We're tight. We're fine. We're cool because I'm a good person compared to Hitler. But the bottom line reality that Jesus points out is that the type of fruitfulness that pleases God, the type of fruit that comes from our life that is pleasing to God does not grow on any branch unless it is connected to the true vine. Um, so yes, you're better than Hitler. You might even be better than Mother Teresa. But that's not the important thing. It doesn't come down to that. It comes down to being connected to the vine. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. Bottom line is God's favor simply cannot be earned. God's grace simply cannot be earned. It's given. So I think the most purposeful, the most useful thing we can do is probably not to focus so much on the branches that don't bear fruit, because uh, we don't want to be that. But let's just turn our attention to the ones that do bear fruit. Jesus said in verse 2, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more faithful, more fruitful. I don't love the pruning part. Uh, I kind of wish that it started with everyone that is free fruit, that does bear fruit, uh, and then you just started out handing out free cars, right? You get a car and you get a car like Oprah Winfrey style, but what he says is the ones that do bear fruit, God's going to prune them so that they will be even more fruitful. Now, that's, that's not the easiest thing to swallow, but it's like spinach. You know it's good for you. Pruning is good for us. Now, that's, that's what's going to come from. And what we see is that a person who is legitimately following Jesus, abiding in him, some translations will use that phrase, will bear fruit. If there's abiding in Christ, if there's connection to Christ, there's also bearing fruit. It's like a litmus test. It's how you can tell. The opposite inverse is also true. No fruit, no abiding. No fruit, no connection to Christ. So the definition of fruit becomes really important, right? You might know some people who consider uh, the fruit of being connected Jesus, to Jesus to be unlimited physical healing. Uh, my experience has been uh, that that doesn't always play out the way that I personally would hope that it would, that God has his reasons. Some people think that the fruit is uh, wealth and prosperity, they would say. 
Some people would say it's just uh, God cleans up your behavior. You become a morally upright person. Some people would say that the fruit is winning souls, bringing other people to Jesus. I would say all of those things can be outcomes, but God is sovereign and he has his reasons and his plans for all of those things. But thankfully, the Bible gives us a definition of fruit, so we don't have to make conjecture. Familiar verse, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul goes on to say, against these things, there is no law. Have as much of them as you would like. These are the fruit that grow on a person who's connected to the true, to the true vine. Here's what I find really interesting about it. It says the fruit of the Spirit, and then lists a whole bunch of things. Not the fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit, singular. Uh, I find that pretty fascinating. But what I realize when I look at that list is that none of those things stands alone. Like, if you're you're not faithful, you don't have self-control. If you're not kind, well, you can't be kind without patience. They're all interwoven. If you lack love, you're probably not very gentle. You go down the list, none of them really stands alone. You can't be really good at one, but this one, patience, eh, not so much on that one. I feel like that's the one where most of us are like, kind of have a little sticking point right there. They stand together, always. These are the fruit that grow on a branch that's connected to the vine. This is the fruit of walking with Jesus. So uh, you might have a tendency to think, just, just based on that, Jesus says, listen, stay connected to me and you will bear fruit. Uh, When your will and my will coincide, then uh, you'll pray prayers that are answered. The things you ask for will be fulfilled. And so we might have this tendency to think, okay, well, if I just get connected to the vine, uh, then everything's going to be okay and peaceful and easy. And I would maybe ask you rhetorically, if you uh, are connected to Christ, has everything always been okay and peaceful and easy? Uh, I I don't think that's the case. In fact, there's a tendency... Um, by, for some to think, okay, well, it's really just all about connection to the vine, so um, we're just going to hunker down in our church and um, shut out the world and do Bible studies together and try not to sin until Jesus comes back. Uh, in fact, there are some pockets in our, uh, in our society that have even kind of like made that fashionable because uh, they hunker down and then they sell their product, like their books and their musics, and they've kind of made it a little bit fashionable to do that. The problem is he's also given us a mission. If it's just Jesus and me time for the rest of my life, I can't be his agent of reconciliation to the world because that's the essence of the Great Commission. Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples. Now, that can't happen if we, if we hunker down peacefully all by ourselves. He says, every branch that does bear fruit, God will prune so that it will be even more fruitful. Sometimes things are going to be difficult. Sometimes things are going to be uncomfortable, but have you noticed in life when things are easy, there's just not a lot of personal growth that happens? That's been my experience. Uh, Sometimes God is going to allow us to be pruned. The idea that we can sort of get into a Christian bubble and, uh, you know, sort of Christian utopia and just stay there until Jesus comes back, Christian utopia is a myth. In fact, if you take the idea of this Christian utopian bubble and you just insert like a really type A man who wants to have multiple wives in there, you have the foundation of basically every cult that has ever existed in the Western world. That's pretty much how they all, they all get started. It's, it's a myth. What's going to happen, and it's important to get your head around this, is that Jesus is going to constantly stretch you. 
God is going to mold you throughout the course of your life, and you're going to see peaks, and you're going to see valleys, and he's going to shape you into his image every day for the rest of your life. And yes, there will be pruning, and sometimes it will be difficult, but at the end, you'll look back and you'll see that it was the greatest adventure you could ever possibly have had in life. He's going to continue to prune you and mold you and shape you every day until the fruit of the Spirit are perfected in you on the day that you enter his presence in eternity. And you're up for it. You're going to look back and say, that was totally worth it. That's the way, that's the way it's going to work. So when you go through struggles, when you go through hardships, when the future is muddy, know this. It's not because God has abandoned you. It's not because God is aloof or doesn't care. It's because God is allowing you to come back to the place where you recognize your dependence on the vine. Allowing you to come back to the place where everything else is kind of stripped away. So if you're, if you're there, if you're dealing with a frustration or a wound or a difficulty, my question would be, have you reached a place where you are dependent on the vine again? Um, I know that for me in difficult times of my life, um, it's actually been somehow just really peaceful and rewarding to get to the spot where your only choice is to trust God. You know what I mean? Where you get to the spot where you're carrying the burden and you just go, okay, God, I'm going to have to offload this because I just can't carry it any farther. And you're going to have to deal with it. And if you choose not to deal with it, come what may, I will know that I'm in the center of your will with that. I'm going to take the weight off. It's actually a really peaceful place to be. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it's really peaceful to know that you have fully handed things over to him and you are dependent on nothing else besides the vine. It's really a great spot to be. So you might hear that analogy, branches, vine, and think, okay, I can get on board with that. I mean, that's a good word picture, right? Connected to the vine. The branches can't bear fruit unless they're connected to the vine. Jesus is a smart guy. He made a good word picture right there. Uh, totally on board for that. But how does that happen? How do I do that? How do I stay connected to the vine, like practically? And, you know, the truth is, the word picture is great, but it's not that helpful unless we understand how to use it. So I was at a youth conference several years ago when I was a youth pastor. Uh, I took my students to this, and probably 500 students or so in the room, and there's a panel. Uh, all the kids are out there, and there's a group of adults sitting up here, just a lot of really great, I'll call them seasoned saints, uh, very mature believers. And they did this cool thing where uh, the kids could, like, text in questions. It was like a question and answer thing. Thankfully, there was a moderator, because you can imagine probably a lot of the questions were utterly ridiculous. But one of them that was a good question was, how do I grow in my relationship with God? Same question, right? How do I stay connected to the vine? How do I bear fruit? And uh, it's a great question. And the answer was given, and it was a totally good and true answer, but it was delivered in the worst possible way. The answer to, that was given was, the only way I know to grow spiritually is through spiritual disciplines. Did anybody here get excited when you heard me say the phrase spiritual disciplines? No? Okay. I didn't think so. Nobody in that room did either, if you're wondering. I would take uh, the idea of spiritual disciplines and try to deliver them a little more effectively for you and say, uh, there's probably a couple of steps to staying connected to the vine, two of them that I would suggest. The first one is taking in God's word, being able to, to take it in. We know from scripture that the Bible is... God's inspired word. It, it's literally his self-disclosure. So if you want to know things about God, he has disclosed to us what he wants us to know. Uh, through it, God teaches us about himself. He teaches us about us. He teaches us 
about the meaning of all things, and, and he teaches us, us about his plan A for our lives. 2 Timothy 3.17, it teaches us that in the Bible, God has disclosed every bit of information that we will need to live a complete and whole life, to live his best plans for us. So in 1950, there was this group of entrepreneurs, two guys. Uh, they invested $2,000 in a fertilizer product that they thought was going to be a hit. Uh, probably all of you have seen this little guy right here, miracle Grow. In uh, 1950, they invested $2,000 to get this product off the ground, and they, uh, they took out a newspaper ad in a New York newspaper. And that one, New York, that one newspaper ad, they spent $2,000 to, to publish and develop and so on and so forth, uh, returned them $22,000 worth of orders. Tidy little return on investment, right? Not bad. Uh, actually, last year, of course, over the years, the company has expanded and there's many brands and branches uh, and services and products. Uh, last year, the company netted $2.6 billion in revenue. So that 2000 bucks paid off. I, that was a good, good investment, I'm going to say. Uh, if you've ever used this before, if you're a gardener, uh, you know it, it works. I mean, there's a reason why it was it 68 years later. Uh, it's still one of the most successful fertilizers, maybe the most successful fertilizer brand in the world. You spray a little of this on your tomatoes, boom, they're six times larger than a tomato should be. I don't know if that means it's uh, you know, like healthy anymore, uh, but it works. It does. Like Your flowers get brighter and bigger. It does what it says, and that's probably why it's still so, uh, still so popular. It does its thing, for sure. Well, God's Word kind of works the same way in our lives. Hebrews 4.12 says that God's Word, the Scripture, is alive and active, and it penetrates the soul, revealing what's in our hearts. What that means practically is that it doesn't just tell us what to do and what not to do. It doesn't just impact us at the level of what we do. It impacts us and shapes us at the level of who we are. And that's more important than what you do because it dictates what you do. God's word is alive and active. So it's important for us to find ways to take it in. Now, maybe you're a power reader. I'm guessing that's a minority of us, but there's probably some of us who get really excited about the idea of Sitting down for an hour in the morning, grabbing a cup of coffee or, you know, seven cups of coffee, just reading. Uh, some of you probably love that. Uh, when I'm able to do that, I fancy myself a pretty avid reader. I look forward to that. But there are times when it's not practical, and the reality is not all of us like to read. So, so the idea of spiritual disciplines, when I hear that, that means sit down for an hour, do nothing other than read. And for some of you, that's basically the worst thing anyone could ever possibly make you do in life. Please cut my arm off instead. I get that. But there's plenty of other ways that we can take God's word in. One of the things that I do often is listen to my audio Bible. Uh, when, I, when I have dead space, air time, you know, if I'm doing things that I can kind of divide my attention, I listen to an audio Bible. I'm just trying to take it in. I listen to a lot of uh, sermons and uh, blogs online, uh, podcasts, that kind of thing. One of the best things that we can do is have conversations with our spiritual mentors. And chances are your spiritual mentor is not someone who's 112 years old and lives on the top of a mountain. It's probably a friend whose input you respect, who's, who's invested in you and cares about you, and, and they're a spiritual big brother or sister to you. You can have those conversations, and those will have such a profound impact on your life. 
Spiritual mentors will make all the difference. My point being, there's a ton of different ways to take in God's word. Uh, one of them is what you're doing right now. Now, totally preaching the choir on this, obviously, but um, this is the importance, why it's important to prioritize being part of a local church and being uh, present on a regular basis, not just on you know, Sunday morning stuff, but with each other, because you get all of these things when you're in community. So, so first thing, first step to staying connected to the vine is find ways to take in God's word. Second one that's equally as important, the first one doesn't even matter if you don't do the second one, and that is you have to allow it to work in your life. There's a parable in Matthew chapter 13 that a lot of you are familiar with. We refer to it as the parable of the sower. And in this parable, Jesus is talking about how God's word works. And there's a farmer, it's God, who goes out to spread his seed, to scatter the seed, uh, to plant the field. That was kind of how they did it in their day. They just cast the seed all over the place. And so the farmer goes out to spread the seed. And you might remember, if you're familiar with it, that it lands on four different types of soil. The soil is representative of us. The last type of soil is the good, soft, fertile soil. The seeds landed there, and they bloomed, they grew into a harvest, into a very fruitful field. The first type of soil, though, is the path. The seeds landed on that, they bounced off it, the soil was impenetrable, and the birds eventually came and ate them up. It was like concrete. It was hard. The seeds and the water, neither one could get in there. In order for God's word to work in our lives, we have to give it a soft place to land. Now, if you're a Christian, which most of you are in the room, you might be thinking, okay, well, I'm a Christian. Of course I'm a soft place for it to land. I've already said yes. Uh, and that is true. But my experience has been, even as someone who loves Jesus and wants to pursue him and serve him and see God's best in my life, there are times when I can be pretty hard-hearted. You know what I mean? Like how many times in the history of uh, Christian, even of Western evangelical Christianity, has someone completely shut off what God might have said to them because the music was too loud or too quiet or too progressive or too old school? Like how many times? I know no one's here has ever done anything like that. How many times has that happened? I, I mean, I don't know, but I bet a lot. Or how many times has someone thought, you know, what's with these topical sermons? Why can't you just go like expository line by line so God can speak? And well, for every person that says that, there's the other person that says, what's with these expository sermons line by line? Just talk about something relevant to my life. But, but how many times have we just completely closed ourselves off to what God might have said because of a, a preferential thing? Um, I've done that. You've probably done that. Here's one that will really sneak up and get you because it's super passive. Uh, I've done this so many times, so no judgment. Uh, I'll come to a passage of scripture and I'll think, oh, I've read this one like a thousand times, so I'll just breeze right through it or sometimes just like move on to the next part. I totally know what that one says. Today's sermon is on John 3.16. Oh, I got this one. Right? How many times have I sort of unintentionally just closed myself off because I'm familiar with it? Uh, man, allowing God to shine new light on familiar scriptures and familiar conversations uh, is really, really difficult to do. But here's probably, in my opinion, probably the worst one, and it affects all of us, Christian or not. We live in a day of skepticism. We're skeptical of a lot of things, and for good reason. The problem I run into, uh, you're all much sweeter than me, so maybe this hasn't happened, is that quite often, maybe even almost all the time, my skepticism tips over from honest skepticism where I'm just considering the facts 
to cynicism, where I sort of start out with a little bit of a hard heart. I start out with the assumption of, yeah, this is going to suck. And then, lo and behold, it does. Or this isn't going to be useful to me, or I already know this. I kind of just start out in a position of being a little bit cynical or a little bit critical or negative. And then all of a sudden, what I find that I've done is I've just completely hardened the soil so the seed can't get in there. It jades everything that I hear. Here's the problem with it. When your heart gets hardened, no amount of miracle grow will ever grow a flourishing garden on a concrete sidewalk. It will never happen. Uh, That's true for me and you, and it's really a great cautionary tale. But those two steps are so simple. Find ways to take in God's word, and then give it soft soil to, to land on. Give it a place where it can actually grow. Here's what I've learned about people who grow things. Do we have any gardeners? We've got to celebrate the gardeners. Anybody here consider themselves, you fancy yourself a green thumb? Yeah, quite a few of you. Uh, here's what I've noticed about people who have thriving gardens or uh, really well cared for yards or landscaping or, or even like house plants that are really thriving uh, is that they're passionate about it. And you have to be because it takes commitment, right? No one's ever going to accidentally grow a thriving, flourishing garden. Tina has an incredible garden, and it takes a lot of work. Uh, it takes passion. You have to be committed to it. My friend Matt, who's not here, I was totally going to pick on him. Uh, Matt has, like, exotic trees from other parts of the world. If you have a banana tree in the inland northwest, you are passionate about gardening. <laughs> People who grow things are passionate about it. You have to be. You can't, you can't be committed enough to see your garden thrive if you're not passionate about it. What I learned from the analogy is that God is passionate about seeing you flourish and bear fruit. God is passionate about seeing you thrive. He loves to see you bear joy and confidence that come from the fruit of the Spirit. He wants to grow you into a radiant and thriving person. And it all hinges on the question of whether or not we're willing to take in his word and give it a soft place to land. So the question I would ask you maybe at the beginning of 2019 is, are you soft soil? Are you a soft place, a soft heart that God can work with? So here's the challenge that I really want to throw at you this morning. The big, the big question is, will you abide in his love, stay connected to the vine by giving God's word a soft place to land? Give it, giving it a heart that is malleable, giving him something to work with. Will you open your heart to hear God's encouragement, not just as words, but as actual encouragement from God to you? Will, you. will you think of the scripture in that way? Will you think of his wisdom as not just theoretical wisdom, but actually as God's wisdom for you? What about correction that we see in the scripture? It's possible God knows some things that I don't know. I'm just saying, it's possible. Probably hard to believe, but it's possible he knows some things that I don't know. Will you have a soft heart? Will you be soft soil where God can plant that seed and see it bloom into something great? Will you receive his instruction? The last verse, John 15, 11, at the end of it all, Jesus says, I have told you this, this analogy, this word picture about the vine and the branches, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. His goal in saying, stay connected to me, is not to regulate what you do, it's to shape who you are, to help you be filled with joy. Will you give that seed a soft place to land? Will you believe that God wants to work that in your life this year? Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you. Uh, Thank you for our church family, God, that you've made us uh, 
not a, not a club or a gathering place, but you've made us into a people, Lord. And so I pray that you would uh, just en masse across the board, God, that you would give us soft hearts, a desire to hear from you again this year, and that you'd help us to take this picture you painted about you being the vine and us being the branches, God, and, and really mull it over, uh, really chew on it, Lord, really consider what does it mean for us to stay connected to you, to stay in the center of your will, to be attached to you, our source of life. God, I pray that you would help us to do that effectively this year in Jesus' name. Amen.